G'day sports fans, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast. Coming at you with another midweek edition of the Sports Be Pod, casting my eyes over the AFL fantasy world. Only three weeks left in the fantasy season. A lot of coaches, uh, myself included, are hanging out for the end of this season so we can start 2024 planning. But there are plenty of coaches that still have a lot to play for. So I'm going to cast my eyes over last round and do a little bit of a recap over the important scores and a couple of other bits and pieces and then project forwards into round 22. Qualifying final weekend for some, semi-final weekend for others in a lot of leagues. So let's not waste any time and get into the episode. Another ho-hum week for the large fries and coke. 2-3-3-9 is what the boys scored. There were a couple of blemishes the likes of Harry Sheasel and Jack Steele. But overall, the team went pretty well. I know it wasn't the lofty score that a lot of coaches saw, but saw a round ranking and my overall ranking sit around the mid-teens, somewhere around the 15,000, 16,000 mark, which is a pretty accurate summary of my entire season. I opted to not trade Lockie Neal. I was very tempted. And then at the last second, decided to trade Marcus Windhager to Josh Dunkley instead. Didn't net me a lot of points, but the other alternatives that I was going to go down, Lockie Neal to maybe trading to a Rory Laird type, there were a couple of others I was looking at. That would not have worked. So I'm glad that I held on to Neil for now. And he's actually the first noteworthy number that I want to discuss. So Lockie Neal had 104. It wasn't a fantastic score. I actually went to the Dockers-Brisbane game. And I remember in the first quarter, it took about felt like 10 to 15 minutes for him to touch the footy and Hayden Young was kind of playing with him, not necessarily tagging him, but running with him, making him accountable as well. And Neil did respond to, like I said, get to the triple figures, but there are a lot of coaches that chose to jump ship and trade him out. The ones that held, you wouldn't be too bummed, but I still think Lockie Neal can honestly go. There's no urgency to flick the bloke out. We know that he's a fantasy star. He's got a huge fantasy pedigree, but he doesn't exactly have the, cushiest run home. He's got the Crows, Pies, and then Saints to end the season. And there might be some decent numbers amongst those three score, uh, three matchups, but Lockie Neal is only averaging 86 in his last four. So if you can upgrade him to another premium with a little bit of extra cash, I don't hate that idea. Second noteworthy number, I want to look at Luke Jackson because boy, oh boy, did he deliver for the coaches that have him on the weekend. 149 I don't know this for a fact, but surely that's a career high for Luke Jackson. A lot of people plugged him in at F6, hoping that he dropped a monster like this, the Sean Darcy, out of the lineup. I know there was a lot of coaches that toyed with the idea of trading him into their side over the last couple of weeks. And there may have even been some who gave him the flick after his... He didn't exactly light it up the first couple of games. He had His last five have been in the 70s and 80s marks. But without Oscar McInerney in the lineup, Luke Jackson helped himself to 44 hitouts. He had three shots on goal, 26 touches, 24 touches rather, five marks, six tackles, huge complete box score. And in my eyes, he's a definite trade target this week. There are still some juicy matchups from a ruck standpoint for Jackson. He's obviously got West Coast this week. They'll still have Bailey Williams in the side, but Vicentini follows after that for Port Adelaide and then maybe Ned Reeves in the final round. So I still think that over those last three Jackson will probably average close to a hundred, if not triple figures. So he's definitely a trade target that you could look at this week. There's already four and a half thousand coaches 
who have jumped on him. And if you've got Marcus Windhager maybe still sitting on your field, then Luke Jackson could be a perfect upgrade from Windhager. He wouldn't cost you a ton either. The third noteworthy score was a bit of a surprise, and it came from James Borlace. Now, I'm meant to be the rookie expert. I dive through all the state league numbers, all the draft D numbers, all the cash cows who usually start the season priced 300K or less. And I like to feel that I've got a pretty good grasp on the whole rookie scenario. However, I did not see Adelaide's key, young key backman after averaging, call it mid-60s during his Sandful season, come out with a 90-point AFL debut. It was a great uh, occasion for a lot of people who brought him in. I know that a lot of coaches would have been chasing a cheap defender because James Borlace is already in about seven, nearly 7% of teams, and there's a big chunk of coaches trading him in this week. But there were a lot that pulled the trigger last week ahead of his debut. So smart move by those coaches. He managed to get a lot of intercept possessions, had 18 touches and nine marks, which I don't think he can replicate. But I didn't think he would do this in the first place. So I think 40s and 50s is probably what we can expect from Borlace moving forward. But after this recent 90, he may be able to get a couple of scores closer to the 60, maybe even 70 mark. No break even of negative 19 as well is ridiculous. So Borlace is still cheap enough for those coaches that want to take the punt. Sticking with the back line, let's get a little bit sad for a moment. I want to talk about Nick Dacos. Now rolling in around 21, Dacos had the sixth most total points out of all fantasy players. He's been a star for the entire season. A lot of coaches, smart coaches, started with him. Those who panicked about a potential uh, tag in the preseason opted to bring Dacos in within the first couple of rounds. And Nick Dacos, after scoring just 37, breaking his knee, or I think he did say that it was an injury he was kind of carrying over and then obviously uh, hurt it pretty massively against the Hawks. He was tagged by Finn McInnes, and there was a few coaches that actually opted to trade out Nick Dacos even before this injury news hit. And those smart coaches would have got a little bit of a leg up on everyone. He only had five touches, was pretty much gifted a goal. So the McInnes tag worked. And I think as a result that Nick Dacos' score doesn't exactly kill his average. He's still averaging 108.8 on the season, but he won't get a chance to alter that average. He's now been ruled out for the next six weeks. So you may see him again in the finals race, but he's out and done and dusted for fantasy coaches, which is sad because Dacos has been a crucial cog for successful teams throughout the 2023 season. But unfortunately now he is a must trade. And a lot of coaches are opting to trade him straight to James Sicily. And he's the fifth player that I want to discuss after the fucking sick dog helped himself to 160 fantasy points on the weekend. The highest score from all players, sick dog was definitely barking against the pies. He had 19 marks, 37 disposals, probably the best performance of James Sicily's career. Let's be honest. He's had maybe higher fantasy numbers, but it's hard to dominate a game like that from a key position standpoint. So the matchup this weekend against the Doggies is pretty juicy for James Sicily. Currently the most traded in player. It's no surprise with Dacos being flicked out by a lot of coaches. He's a marking machine, James Sicily. Obviously had 19 on the weekend. He's had plenty of other games throughout the season where he's hit 12 or at least double figures. So hopefully he can churn out another 20 kicks and 12 marks against the Bulldogs down in Utah's this weekend. Does have the D's and the Dockers to close the year at the G as well. So those coaches that are maybe looking at the fixtures ahead, I wouldn't be too alarmed. And I would definitely be recommending James Sicily. Already in 35% of teams now that he's been traded in by a lot this week. 
And it doesn't cost you a ton of money to go up from Nick Dacos to James Sicily. Another potential backman that coaches might be looking at is Jaden Short. Now, I nearly brought Jaden Short in last week ahead of his 150th. I'm really keen on this bloke to end the fantasy season. And he may still have a couple of lackluster scores, but he has been penciled in into my 2024 uh, black book, potentially as a starting player, especially if he keeps his defensive status. Now, we know that Jaden Short's magnet has been thrown a little bit all over the place in the past. Call it two seasons. He's played some midfield time. He excels as a halfback flank. And it seemed like that halfback role was what he was playing with Andrew McWalter calling the shots. And I expect him to keep racking up the plus sixes to close the season. Obviously, I'm a massive fan of Short, as I've already said, but he has had a pretty injury-affected 2023 season. He did have a score of 25 where he was hurt. And this game that he had uh, last weekend against the Doggies was his first game back from a pretty lengthy layoff, about a month of footy he missed. And he did miss a chunk of time earlier in the season as well after a couple of other dud scores. But between round six and 14, it's worth pointing out that Jaden Short averaged 104. So just putting that out there, I expect that number to be pretty close to what he honestly churns out for the rest of the season. His matchups are solid. And again, I think that if he's on that half back line and playing that role pretty consistently for the Tigers to end the fantasy season, then he should score a shitload of points. If you're not going down the Jaden Short route, because that does save you a ton of money from a potential day cost to short trade, you pocket about 150K off the top of my dome. Nick Newman, he's the seventh noteworthy scorer because this guy had another whopper. He had 139. He is firing on all cylinders now to finish the season. We've seen that ever since Nick Newman came into the AFL, even back when he was playing for Sydney, he's shown a fantasy game. He's shown an ability to put up big scores. I remember even as a rookie, he was putting up some massive numbers. Four of his last five now have been 100s and Nick Newman's averaging 114 in that stretch. He's got the D's, the Suns and the Giants to close the season, which might not forecast as the greatest set of upcoming opponents, but Newman's fantasy scoring speaks for itself. He, obviously, like I said, he's coming off a 139. He had 123 the week prior, and he had another massive 160 earlier in the season as well. So we know that Newman can score, and he'll be another player that tempts coaches this week after some massive numbers. Looking at a bit of value in the midfield, then Matt Crouch is your boy. The eighth noteworthy scorer scored 120 on the weekend, which was obviously his season high because the man's only played about four games. He's averaging 102 in his last three since he came back into Adelaide's midfield. And he's pretty cheap at 728. So there's a lot of crew out there who might be extremely cash strapped. And if you find yourself in that position, then honestly, trading for Matt Crouch works. There's bound to be an 80 or another dud score in his last three. I can just feel it in my bones, but I still think that Crouch could push a triple figure average over his final three games of the season. And like I said, given his cheap price tag, if there's coaches out there who can't get to a noteworthy name, then you might want to potentially uh, make a play for Crouchy. The ninth one I want to talk about, another gun midfielder, this time in Tom Green. Of course, this fucking bastard teases us with a massive score on return. He's now averaging 110 with that average slightly pumped up by the 141 that he had on the weekend. He's actually got the ninth best fantasy average in 2023, which surprises me, even though he obviously hasn't played a ton. When he does feature, Tom Green has definitely had a breakout season and he's going to be a fantasy star of the future. He helped himself to 38 touches in the derby against Sydney, the battle of the bridge, as they call it, laid 10 tackles. And I still think that he's a ripper player, not necessarily a point of difference. He's still in 15 
percent of teams, but I feel like a lot of coaches that are still actively trading would have removed him from their team when he did, uh, was his hamstring that he injured that forced him to miss the last three weeks prior to round 21. So don't be mistaken by thinking Tom Green can't still score and isn't an option for coaches out there. If you need to plug a final midfield upgrade, then you can definitely make a play for Tommy Green. He has some gnarly matchups in Port Adelaide, the Bombers and Carlton to finish, but that last game could be for a spot in the eight. So I expect Green to keep fighting and keep churning out some pretty massive numbers. Speaking of massive numbers, the last bloke I want to discuss, Marcus Bontempelli. I did look at trading Bont into my side last week, but I couldn't justify spending up. And I tell you what, anyone out there who doesn't have Bont now, good luck affording him for the rest of the season. There's not much more that I can say about Bont that hasn't already been said. He has easily been dominating fantasy and been the form player since the buy rounds hit. I know that that score against the Giants a couple of weeks ago brings his average somewhat down, but... The dude has 151, 142, 128, and a couple of other high one teens mixed in with his last six games since the doggies buy. And even leading into that, he had a massive 158. So there's only been one score really since round eight where Bont has scored under triple figures. And I don't think that the big man is going to slow down now. Obviously with Dacos out, Bont does get a chance to make a serious push for the Brownlow, but given his stardom and the pedigree that Marcus Bontempelli does uh, possess. I wouldn't be shocked if he was already leading the Brownlow by the time we hit round 21. Alrighty, let's get into the bang for your buck picks. Where's the value at? Who can I target in each of the price brackets out there? So the 200K guys, not a lot of coaches are going to be uh, steering their attention towards, but James Borlase, who I've already spoken about with his stupidly low break even, is definitely a play in defense. Shout out to Brandon Ryan as well, the Hawks mid-season draftee, who he's had a couple of moments in the VFL and was able to get a recall, or not a recall, earn a call up for an AFL debut. And against St. Kilda, he was fine, didn't do a lot, but against the Collingwood Magpies on the weekend, he kicked three goals. He was definitely uh, emerged as one of those targets up forward for the Hawks and someone that they might have found a bit of a diamond in the rough here. He only had nine touches and five marks for his three goals, which equated to a score of less than 60. But Brendan Ryan also owns a negative break-even. So you could go down that route if you're chasing a forward downgrade. And I still think that Dante Vicentini, for the coaches that don't have him as a ruck forward option, he's definitely a player worth trading into your sides. In the 300K bracket, Elijah Sardis is probably the pick of the bunch. 14 touches in his first game, pretty decent return. And there's still room, obviously, for Sardis to grow. It's hard to justify spending 300K or more for a player who's probably going to sit on your bench, but I don't know how everyone's team is tracking. So if you are in that unique position where you're looking for a bench downgrade, but you don't want to go all the way down to the aforementioned 200K club, you could look at Elijah Sardis. You could also look at Luke Nankervis, who's been scoring pretty reasonably for the Crows. And Paddy Dow deserves a mention with Chera and Walsh out. He's enjoying being in uh, Carlton's midfield. And I don't know if he'll be there next year, but I tell you what, if he does keep getting opportunities to close this fantasy season, then Dow can still put up some numbers. Okay, the 400K blokes, a weird price. There's not a lot here that usually screams out to me from a weekly standpoint, but Callum Archie is the one who is noteworthy. He gave away four free kicks on the weekend, which definitely affected his score. He only managed to get to 65, but... The two scores before that of 87 and 108 are uh, very tempting. And Archie has been filling up the box score in a lot of categories. He's been getting a lot of marks and tackles, kicking a snag occasionally, 
getting his hands on the pills. So I still think that Archie can score in the 70 to 80 bracket moving forward on a weekly basis. Again, there's not a lot of coaches that are going to be out there chasing someone in the 400K mark. Sam Switkowski's had a good recent run as well, but I probably wouldn't suggest pulling the trigger on either of these guys. If you're tempted though, Calamachi is the pick of the bunch of the blokes in the 400K mark. All right, next price bracket of the 500s. We're looking at George Hewitt. It's been over three months since this bloke scored a fantasy century, but he was able to do that again on the weekend against the Saints. Nice 105, very handy score for all those coaches that have him plugged in at M8. And if you're still cash strapped, he's still potentially an option. I know I've been saying it now for a couple of weeks, but the signs are definitely there. Hewitt has had some big numbers. One of them granted against the West Coast Eagles. I get it. But in the last month, he's got a 74, 91, 66, and the most recent score of 105. So we can put up a score similar. That'll probably equate to an average in the high 70s, low 80s. I expect that Hewitt will do that. The big factor that's weighing over his head is the return potentially of Adam Chera and Sam Walsh. I mentioned them briefly with Paddy Dow, but they're both one to two weeks away listed on the injury report. So an ideal scenario would be having Hewitt at M8 and upgrading him in a couple of weeks' time, hopefully before the AFL Fantasy Grand Final. But Hewitt's form, like I said over the last month, does suggest that you can still pull the trigger on him. Break even of 18, I expect him to get that this weekend. To the 600K club, I have to mention Chad Wingard. Now, Dane Zorko and Callum Mills were the honourable mention here. I'm still not convinced that Millsy is going to flip the script and score regular tons from now on, but there are coaches out there that, opted to hold him and if you did you can still keep him in your side maybe give him another chance but I wouldn't be making a trade for him Chad Wingard on the other hand is an interesting one he's a tough player to justify paying up for in classic I know that there's a lot of coaches that are potentially looking for a point of difference but Wingard at $634,000 is probably not the bloke that you're after he's in 0.5% of teams so I wouldn't be shocked if there was no one that listens to uh, this part about his recent scoring. But it is worth noting. I know that these mid-forwards, the guys that kind of push up the ground a little bit, he reminds me a bit, uh, Wingard, of like a, a Nick Martin, but probably more of a dangerous threat around goal. But we know what he can do when he gets his hands on the footy. And he has been doing that in recent times, which has helped him average 925 in his last four matches. And those four matches, it's no surprise that Hawthorne's been very competitive in and even upset, obviously upset the Pies on the weekend. Teams like Richmond, Hawthorne, uh, Richmond, St. Kilda, North Melbourne, they've taken it right up to those squads. So I wouldn't be shocked if Wingard got close to another 90 this week. Again, it's tricky to justify paying up for him, but he's probably a strong draft play for coaches out there who need some waiver wire assistance. The last one, the 700K bracket. Features a couple of interesting targets. The honourable mentions include Bailey Dale and Luke Jackson, two players that I do think you can trade in, but I still prefer Matt Crouch. I've talked about his juicy 102 average in his last three games. I expect his point totals to continue. Luke Jackson is still another option as well, thanks to his monster against Brisbane, but we can expect a little bit of inconsistency from the, the big Frio man. All right, I've teased draft a few times. Let's get into waiver wire Wednesday. So here's a couple of draft targets owned in less than 50% of leagues that you may want to make a play for. The first one I want to discuss is Nick Hind. I always feel a bit bad putting, well, not bad, it's not the right word, but I, I feel like I should be coming up with fresh ideas when I put up the waiver wire pickups for coaches. Last week against the Eagles, Nick Hind helped himself to 113 
The week before that was an 87. And the two games before that, he was used as the sub and didn't score great. So as a result in classic, his uh, price is at a little weird point. It's around the 500 mark from memory. But in draft, there's still plenty of coaches that haven't snapped up Nick Hind. He's in about 35% of leagues. So you can still hopefully go out there and nab the bomber. And hopefully his line-breaking ability will see him score more. He had 31 disposals against the Eagles, but 24 of them were kicks. So if Hind is going to be a target, let's hope that he keeps getting those double-digit pushing towards 20 kicks a game because that should see him score in the high 80s to 90s. Another backman that coaches may want to make a play out is Mitch Hinge, who I've gone to mention a couple of times on this potty, but he dominated against the Gold Coast Suns. Season best 124. Before that, he had a 66 against the Power, but his numbers in the, call it seven games since the buy round, are pretty elite. He's got a lot of 90s mixed in there, another 119 against North. So Mitch Hinge, he's got a five-round average now, hovering just under 100. And I don't think a lot of coaches will have the opportunity to pick him up considering he's in 48% of leagues, but there's plenty out there, including one of my leagues, where you can still snap up Mitch Hinge. And I expect him to be a fieldable player throughout the fantasy finals. So if you want to go down that route, then by all means, stop listening to this and go and add the Crows defender. Staying in South Australia, Xavier Dersma was the next bloke that I highlighted. He's only in 16% of teams. Recent four scores of 70, 60, 75, and 85 I think somewhere in the 70s mark is what he will average moving forward. So those who need a midfielder in the deeper leagues could maybe make a play for Dersma. Connor McDonald from the Hawks, 23% owned. He's pretty consistent though, I like to think, C-Mac. He does churn out pretty regular 70s, it feels like anyway. So he's someone that maybe you make a play for. I've already talked a lot about Calamachi. He's still only in 10% of draft leagues. So if you need assistance in a potentially deeper league, go after Archie. Jamie Cripps, is an interesting one because I highlighted him as well. And I was a bit uncertain as to where to put him in the rankings this week because I've actually had Cripper in one of my sides for a couple of weeks now. And he had 110 against North, followed it up with a two goal, two performance against the Bombers that got him 81 points. I don't know if we can expect too many monsters like that 110 to close the season, but I wouldn't be shocked if Cripper, who is now averaging 85 in his last three, I wouldn't be shocked if he was around that mark or still scoring in the 80s. So in more leagues than I thought, he's actually 29% owned. So get out there and snap him up if you need a forward. And the last player I want to mention is Dante Vicentini, who probably won't score a ton, but if you've been struck by injuries in your ruck department, he's only in 6% of teams, and it seems like he's going to have a stranglehold on the uh, ruck title for the rest of the season for Port Adelaide. So if you don't have Vicentini in your draft side and you need some help in the ruck department and you're really scrapping to try and find a decent downgrade, a decent waiver wire pickup, then Vicentini might be able to assist. There isn't a lot that needs to be said about the rookies. I won't do a massive rookie dive this week. I've already addressed a lot of the cheap targets. So let's transition into the hardest question on coaches' minds. And again, thank you to the fantasy coaches that hit me up with their questions because there's a couple of interesting trade targets as we seek as many premiums as possible ahead of round 22. So the first big elephant in the room that I want to discuss is what we need to do with Nick Dacos. Now, fantasy coaches who have a little bit of dual position can essentially get to almost any player in the game. If you're really cash strapped, then you might have to settle for players around the similar price as Dacos, but there are a lot of options out there. So if we're looking purely at price, there's only three players 
in the back line that are more expensive than Dacos. And that's Dawson, Sicily, and Sam Doherty, all three of which need to be in your fantasy side, if you ask me. If I had to rank them, I still think that Dawson is the most important given his success over the entire fantasy season. And given his recent massive score, I slightly give James Sicily the edge over Sam Doherty. But I think those three are the top three trade targets for coaches who are trying to replace Dacos. Gets a bit interesting if you need to go cheaper, though, because underneath Dacos, you get the likes of Jack Sinclair, Wanganine Miller, Tom Stewart, and then you get into the real cheaper territory where you're looking at Bailey Dale, Lockie Whitfield, maybe even a Jaden Short type who's quite a bit down if I keep scrolling. But there are options for Nick Dacos, and I think it can be categorized pretty easily by the fact of where you stand. If you're chasing a hat and you want to try and roll the dice and do something different to the rest of the league, obviously the majority of the coaches are going Dacos to Sicily. Very popular, very fantastic move. But if you want to go after maybe a Wanganine Miller or maybe even someone who I've already talked about in a Jaden Short, save yourself a lot of dough. Maybe a Bailey Dale who has scored 108 in his last, or averaged 108 in his last three. I think that you could potentially roll the dice and go for one of those more unique types. Luke Ryan is another one who I haven't mentioned who's scored an average 100 this season, coming off a pretty average score, but I expect him to bounce back. So there's plenty of options out there for Dacos. I think the pick of the bunch, though, if you're looking from a cheaper standpoint, is still Nick Newman. You can save yourself about 60 grand by turning Dacos to Newman. I wouldn't be too turned off by Newman's upcoming fixtures. I think this dude is averaging, like I said, a monster 114 in his last five, 118 in his last three. Those numbers are slightly inflated by 139 on the weekend, but if he can get you another 130 for the last over the last three rounds and you manage to pull the trigger on Newman, who's only in 5% of teams, it's certainly a trade that I would consider. Jaden Short, again, I've talked about and pumped up his tires. I still have Newman ranked higher than him. So speaking broadly, if I had to rank these trade targets that you're trying to get for Nick Dacos, he goes Dawson, Sicily, Doherty, then probably Nick Newman, then I would lean towards a Wanganine Miller, Jack Sinclair, Luke Ryan type. And if you really need a bit of cash to potentially facilitate another upgrade, go down to Jaden Short at 755 and use the cash elsewhere for another upgrade. The second question that I want to address is what do we do with Harry Sheasel? Now, we know that Harry Sheasel, as a rookie, was probably going to be traded out of our sides at some point. But considering the fact that he's averaged 95 in his rookie campaign, there's a lot of coaches who are quite content to just leave him sitting in their D6 or F6 spot and let him ride the season out. Now, the Shees has had a couple of 50s in recent times, which has led to over 3,000 coaches trading him out. Currently the second most traded out player. Now, mixed in with those two 50s over his last five games are two scores over 110 as well. So you have to tread carefully when I think it comes to these last couple of trades. You don't want to get too cute. And Sheasel's matchups against the Bombers, Richmond Tigers, and Gold Coast Suns are pretty tempting. It does make me uh, feel confident in his ability to score to close the season. That being said, he is a rookie and I know that he has had some lulls and he has had some great moments, but if you need to potentially flick out Sheasel to maybe get one of those aforementioned big three defenders, a Doc, a Sicily, uh, a Stewart, even if you don't have Tommy Stewart in your lineup, a Dawson, if you've missed that bandwagon, you can still do that. I think Harry Sheasel is still okay to be traded out. He's a teenager. After all, and Clarko's back now. We don't exactly know what role he's going to play under Clarkson. He did struggle, obviously, last weekend to put up points against the D's, but I think that's more of a summary of how hard Melbourne are to score against than Sheasel's fantasy role and ability. So 
if you're in the position where you need to trade Sheasel and there's not a lot else on your team that's looks like a pressing trade matter, go for it. You can do that. And I think, honestly, I might do it this week as well. All right, let's get into some specific questions. Again, thanks to the coaches who fire these through on not short notice, but uh, I didn't exactly give them a ton of time. So first one comes from Dennis Ryan. He's looking at either trading in Nick Newman and Luke Jackson or Jaden Short and Zach Butters. Butters is someone I didn't highlight too much. Had a 130 bounce back last week, and I think a lot of coaches will be tempted by him. Although my gut does say to still side with the first two. Pick Newman and Jackson. Obviously, you might be point chasing slightly, considering they both had monsters on the weekend. And Jaden Short, obviously, I've talked about how much I like that bloke, but I think Newman and Jackson are the right answers for now. Brisbane Bloods Fantasy asks on Clayton Oliver, yes or no? And for me, it is a resounding yes. I know traditionally we want to wait a week after players come back, especially someone like Oliver, who's been out for what feels like half the season. But jumping on him right away could get you a nice leg up against the rest of the competition. Because a lot of coaches will have that mentality. And I don't think that Clayton Oliver is going to exactly struggle when he comes back. He's got Carlton straight up, break even of 127. There's no guarantees that he hits that, obviously. But there'll be some coaches that will be keeping an eye on Clayton Oliver, but maybe not able to trade him in. So if you can get him this week, I would make a move for him and be pretty content having Clayton Oliver sitting in my midfield for the rest of the season. All right. William asks Newman versus Sick Dog. Now, again, I think this can be summarized pretty accurately by where you're standing in your leagues. If you are trying to go for something different, trying to stand out and really launch yourself up the rankings and go a little bit zag while everyone else is zigging, then maybe you can go for Nick Newman. But James Sicily is one of the form players of the comp. A matchup against the Doggies should see some more big scoring, even if he doesn't fire this week. Everyone else has jumped on the bandwagon. And I expect there to be points somewhere in Sicily's last couple of games. So if I had to pick between the two, I would pick Sicily. does depend a little bit on what your money you save in that potential trade can do for you as well. There's off the dome about a hundred grand difference between swinging, oh, less than actually, than swinging between uh, Sicily and someone like Nick Newman. So I do think that Newman's a fine target. I do think that Sicily is a better target. The last question that came through via Instagram, thanks to Luke for shooting that one through. How many green dots do we need on our bench to end the season? And this is an interesting dilemma because I've kind of, I went on the uh, Fantasy Fanatics podcast the other week and basically said green dots don't matter anymore this late in the fantasy season. And I believe that to a certain extent, but I probably went a bit overboard. If you've got a couple of playing emergencies, I think at the moment I've got three, maybe four, those are the guys that are obviously going to keep generating cash. Now with three weeks to go, you're not too concerned about how much potential cash you have to play with, but someone like a Campbell Chesser type, he is a green dot in quotation marks, but he's maxed out in value. So if you trade him to James Borlace, that can net you over a hundred grand and then you could potentially use that for other upgrades. Elijah Hewitt in the midfield as well. If you went down even just to Elijah Sardis, that makes you a hundred grand. So I do think that you can try and chase green dots, but you obviously want to try and maximize the cash that you're spending for points on your field. So don't be too concerned about your bench. There's a lot of dead weight for a lot of coaches now. I've got Cooper Harvey, whose season's over, Matt Roberts, Josh Sin's still sitting there, Oishin Mullen. And there's a lot of coaches out there that will have some more names like your Cam Fleetons of the world. I know Max Heath is another popular R3 option. Lachlan McAndrew fits in the same basket. So 
don't be too concerned if you have a bench full of red dots. As long as you are content with the on-field 22, given there's only a couple of weeks left, I give full uh, green light, pun intended, to ignoring the bench and focusing on your on-field trade targets. Before I go, what are my moves looking like this week? Obviously, Dacos has got to go, but I'm a bit stuck on which second player to trade out, honestly. After getting Dunkley last week, I now have a complete forward line. Golden Dunks, Rosie, Taranto, Cogs, Butters. I don't think I'll be trading any of them out unless they get injured. Into the midfield, I'm pretty content with all the blokes I've got there. Lockie Neal will get another chance against the Crows. George Hewitt is still rising in value. So that turns my attention to the back line. Obviously, with Dacos out, I think I'm just going to be uh, follow the crowd and go James Sicily. And then with my second move, I think I'm bringing in Jaden Short. And it comes at the expense of Harry Sheasel. I know that the bloke has put up great numbers for the whole fantasy season. It does feel a bit bittersweet trading Harry Sheasel out of my side, but I'm very bullish on what Jaden Short can achieve. And after these two trades, it does leave me with a slight bit of cash to play with next week. And that's it. The Sportsview Pod is done for another week. Thanks once again for tuning in to this episode. I'll be back on Wednesday to wrap up round 22 and forecast to prelim final weekend in the fantasy realm. Good luck to all the coaches out there this week. I think uh, just quickly off the dome, let me have a look at the uh, captains. I think oh, Essendon play North pretty early. I might roll it on Zach Merritt, maybe even a Smokey and Darcy Parish, but I am tempted to just captain Tim English and not worry about it. I've got a lot of other things on this weekend, so I won't be able to tune into as much footy as I'd probably like, but Timmy English uh, is at the moment the captain for the large fries and Coke. Watch this space if that holds. Uh, as always, appreciate you listening. Till next time, peace. Peace.